The derivation of induced pluripotent stem cells and tissue-specific stem cells has revolutionized stem cell research and advanced our understanding of the mechanisms of tissue differentiation and the pathophysiology of human disease. But there's been less impact on the treatment of disease. I'm Stephen Morrissey, Managing Editor of the New England Journal of Medicine, and I'm talking with Helen Blau, Director of the Baxter Laboratory for Stem Cell Biology at the Stanford University School of Medicine. Dr. Blau has co-authored a Frontiers in Medicine article on stem cells in the treatment of disease. Dr. Blau, embryonic stem cells have traditionally garnered a lot of attention and a lot of controversy, but as you say in your article, researchers are now exploring other types of stem cells for disease treatment, such as induced pluripotent stem cells and tissue-specific stem cells. Can you tell us what are the key differences between those types and the embryonic stem cell? Sure. The embryonic stem cells are derived as their name suggests, from the embryo, and that requires destruction of the embryo. Whereas induced pluripotent stem cells are derived from any somatic differentiated cell, routinely blood or skin or cells in the urine, and they can, from a given individual, they can be rendered pluripotent by overexpression of four transcription factors by a method that was developed by Shinya Yamanaka, who got the Nobel Prize a few years ago. And this has revolutionized what we can do in that you can take a patient's own cells and make them into pluripotent cells without the need to sacrifice embryos. And then you can differentiate them into different cell types, neurons, cardiomyocytes, whatever you desire. Tissue-specific stem cells reside in your tissues, in certain tissues. Not all tissues have them, but for instance, in the skin or in the skeletal muscle, there are tissue-specific stem cells that are present in the tissue and are dedicated to regenerating that tissue. And when there's injury to the tissue, they spring into action and repair it. Sometimes with aging, they don't function quite so well, and so there's a big search for factors that can enhance the function of the tissue-specific stem cells. Have we had any success in treating disease using these stem cells? Are there examples you can talk about? Sure. The best examples, I think, are from skin and also cornea. So in the case of skin, there the tissue-specific stem cells have really revolutionized treatment. So I think an example is that of epidermolysis villosa, EB, which is a rare disease. It's due to mutations in genes that encode components of the extracellular matrix, like collagens, laminins, integrins, that have an integral function in maintaining the skin integrity. And when there are mutations in these genes, there is constant ulcers, chronic erosions, blistering. They're extremely painful and debilitating diseases, devastating. And I think a revolutionary study was done recently by DeLuca and colleagues. DeLuca actually trained with Howard Green, and Howard Green was the first to develop skin transplants, keratocyte transplants for burn victims in the 80s. But despite his heroic efforts and much success, the tissues, the cells were not long-term. What DeLuca did was find a way to do transplants that are long-term. So taking a four-centimeter square biopsy from a boy who had this debilitating disease, EB, with constant blistering, he isolated the cells and genetically engineered them to produce the missing laminin protein. And then he transplanted in patches the skin back onto the boy. 
And because he could study the site of integration in the cells that were repairing the tissue, and and what he found was that he was able to replace 80% of the boy's cells on his skin. So this boy now at seven years of age is going to school, and I've even seen pictures of him playing soccer. So this is an amazing success story. And by studying the results, what they found was by looking at the site of integration of the transgene, this is the laminin gene that corrected the defect, they could determine which cells had given rise to this long-term tissue replacement. And they found that there are progenitors, paraclones and meroclones, but it was the holoclones that are the true stem cells. And these holoclones were the ones that took over eventually and replaced the skin. Our skin, our epidermis, turns over completely once per month. So this was a major, major achievement. So you've talked about making these cells or some of these cells long-term as one of the challenges that has in fact been overcome. What other challenges are researchers facing when they're developing these therapies? There are a number of challenges with induced pluripotent stem cells. The induced pluripotent stem cells can be made into different cell types, but because when you overexpress the four factors, you reset telomerase. You turn on telomerase, which is normally off in somatic cells, and you extend the telomeres, and many features of immortalization occur. And so there is a risk of cancer. And in fact, it was due to this risk of cancer that a clinical trial using iPS-derived cells for a treatment of an eye disorder was halted. So challenges of using these pluripotent stem cells. So they are attractive in that they represent, in principle, unlimited source. You can grow them forever. They have unlimited proliferative capacity. But as a result, they also have the tendency to cause cancer. And oncogenic mutations arise during their propagation and culture. So quality control has to be performed continuously. That scale-up and quality control is extremely expensive and time-consuming. Delivery is also a challenge. You need a way to deliver these cells with minimal disruption of the tissue so that you can penetrate the right area and get appropriate engraftment and functional integration into the host tissue. And thirdly, you need to very carefully select the patients that would benefit from the therapy, and that is important to the success. Other challenges are the cost and the time in getting quality control is a challenge and also for treating acute diseases. So If you have to culture a cell and grow it up, if you don't have a bank of cells, then it's difficult to treat acute diseases like spinal cord injury or myocardial infarction. That is one of the challenges. So one of the things that was envisioned with induced pluripotent stem cells was an individualized treatment where you could take a person's own cells and then you wouldn't require immune suppression for your whole life, which you do if they're not immunologically matched. But now we realize that with all the quality control and cost of scale-up, that's going to be very impractical. So immunosuppression will likely be required, and that's associated with morbidity, infection, deleterious side effects. So what people are envisioning now is HLA master banks, matched master banks that are minimally different, sort of universal allogeneic donor cells. And also, there's a lot of effort being put into new strategies for generating immune tolerance to the engrafted cells. Patients currently have access to direct-to-consumer stem cell therapies that haven't been proved to be safe or effective. How do you see that influencing future stem cell research? I think that's a major, major challenge. There is now a marketplace for unproven stem cell therapies. Internet-based consumer marketing is major. 
So people are seeking these untested stem cell therapies, and they don't have the knowledge to know that those cell therapies are not proven. And that occurs even in the United States, and there have been some devastating results. We need a way to try and control that with international guidelines and rigorous oversight because that threatens the whole future of stem cell therapy, which has tremendous prospects for the future. So thinking about those prospects, disease treatment is just one application of stem cell technology. What other aspects, physiology, pathophysiology, have stem cells allowed researchers to begin to explore and understand? I think that's one of the most exciting things, that we've been able to model disease because you can take a patient's own cells uh, and they may have a mutation that affects cardiac function, channelopathies, and you can grow them in culture and differentiate them into cardiomyocytes. Even though they often don't get beyond an embryonic stage of development, we still are able to really model arrhythmias, channelopathies, hypertrophy, dilated cardiomyopathy and therefore be able to begin to study the mechanisms of pathogenesis in a way that wasn't possible before, and also screen for drugs that can overcome the defects that are seen. And there are a number of drugs that have been identified, novel drugs and also repurposed drugs. They're not in the clinic yet, but it takes time to get to that point. I think that is one of the major outcomes, the positive outcomes of stem cell research. Thank you, Dr. Blow.